Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series titled Counter Culture as he speaks on the subject of homosexuality and how we as the church can speak truth in love as Jesus would. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. We're going to get right to it. We're continuing in our sermon series called Counterculture, Speaking the Truth in Love. And we've been in a two-part kind of series within the series last week and this week called Sexual Purity, Honoring God with Our Bodies. So if you missed that message last week, you need to go check that out because a lot of it will tie into what we're talking about today because we looked at human sexuality and the act of heterosexual uh, sexual immorality and fornication last week. Today, we move into looking another way of sexual immorality that takes place in a society and is a hot topic issue that we're all faced with today in many ways and how to account for biblically with maybe friends, family, loved ones that are in this lifestyle or are in support of this lifestyle and have been confused about God's word and what the culture says and and how we should live and how we should treat people and all that. And it's caused a lot of issues and it's caused a lot of problems. And because, again, the pulpits of America have been silent on this issue because people are scared to step up and, tr- and preach the truth. And I'm going to say that again. Because people are scared to step up and preach the truth in love, then we've seen Satan run again in the hearts and minds of people and destroy the design and plan that God had for his people. And that's what we're facing. An enemy that has deceived and taken advantage of a missing link, which is the church of Jesus Christ standing on the truth and preaching it in love. So we're going to do that here. It's not going to be missing here. And we're going to hear from the Lord today on this very sensitive subject, this very sensitive issue of homosexuality. And here's the thing, like we alluded to at the very beginning of this sermon series. What would Jesus say about this? I mean, if he was walking with us today like he did with the disciples and how he taught so many back in the days and when he was walking on the earth and he would teach the culture on many things, what would he say today? Would he be quiet? No. What would he say? He would preach his word. He would reference his word and what's truth and he would shine the light on deception that the enemy has brought. So that's what we're going to look at today. And I want to open this up by bringing something out that I thought was a very good analogy as to why do this, why stand on the truth, why preach messages like this. You know, if you're a first responder, if you're a a EMS, you're a fighter fighter, a, a police officer, you have something that's called a duty to act law. And what that is, is means that you're trained to be a first responder to help somebody's life. And if you're on duty, if you're off duty, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But when you're on duty as a first responder, you are obligated legally to provide the care you are trained to do to the person that needs it. Guys, we are trained responders 
if you are in the church of Jesus Christ. If you are a saved believer in Jesus Christ and you call yourself a Christian, you are a first responder for him. And Amen. Go ahead. And what that means is, get this, you're never off duty. You and I are always on duty as a follower of Jesus Christ. It is the great commission that we have all been commanded to do. So there is not a single one of us that have not been given the moral responsibility by Jesus to go and preach the truth to a people who are desperately needing it because sin is destroying their hearts, lives, and our society. And we're going to be responsible if we don't. Just like the first responder will be responsible legally and will face consequences if they don't provide the care when they're on duty that they are trained to give, you and I will be held accountable by a holy God for the people that we didn't reach because we were too scared. Because we just worried about how people would like us or not. That we just wanted to fit in. Remember our message a few weeks ago that, hey man, when you're on the visiting team and you're getting booed, it's easier to change the jersey and just join the other side, isn't it? And that's what we've seen many people do, and that's what we've seen pastors do, and that's what we've seen whole churches do, is just give in to the culture, rather than find a way to speak truth and love, and to come alongside people like Jesus would, and love them, but point them to the truth to set them free. That's what we're commanded to do, and that's what we're going to do today. So today, this message is so much not condemnation. This is so much not bashing people by any means. We haven't done that last week or in the previous two weeks as we looked at heterosexual sin and pornography and everything. This hasn't been a bashing word. It's been a shine the light on what the consequences are, what God's desire and plan is, and then let's see if the Holy Spirit of God would speak in your life, in my life, and get us right with him. Will we say yes to Jesus? That's the ultimate thing. Here's his truth. It's absolute truth, not relative truth, and it changes lives. So the message is not condemnation, but the message is that of, of victory. It's that of freedom. It's that of hope because Jesus has come to set the captives free. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word that we get to look at today. Lord, we know this is a sensitive subject, a sensitive issue that we face in our society. So, Lord, now I pray, Father, that you would speak to hearts and lives like only you can. Speak to people who are currently, presently caught up in this lifestyle. Lord, that you want to set free. Lord, that you want, want to, the message out that you don't hate them. You love them, Father. But you, you can't stand to see what's going on, what sin's causing in their life and in our society. And that you want to set them free. Lord, I pray that you would also speak to the hearts and minds of people, your church, Lord, who have been deceived into accepting this lifestyle and, and thinking that somehow it's acceptable in your eyes when, Father, very clearly, as we'll see in your word, that it's not, and that it's not according to your plan and your desire for the people. Why? Be, because there's, there's pain and destruction in that. So, Lord, I pray that we would all hear your word today, that we would fall on our hearts that are receptive and open to your word. And Lord, that your spirit would come and do what only you can do, and that's change hearts, change lives, Lord, and change our society. 
Father, we praise you for who you are and what you're about to do. And we give you all the glory as the captives are set free today. In Jesus' name, amen. Passage we want to start with here today is going to be in Genesis. We want to set the stage and for what is God's plan? What's God's desire? Because we got to see that this isn't just, hey, again, you're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. You're, you're having sex outside of marriage in a heterosexual relationship. So it's just wrong, wrong, wrong. Why is it wrong? Why? What is God's desire? Who's to say who's wrong? And, and back to this relative versus absolute truth. And we know that the Bible is absolute truth. And like we said, go back and see, hear those first two messages because you need them before we understand the rest of this. Because if you don't believe the Bible as absolute truth, then the rest is meaningless. So there's a plan. God has a plan. We find it in Genesis chapter 2. Let me read that first to refresh us. We read this last week. I want to read it again. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18, and then also 21 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, all the way back at the beginning. Verse 18 says, And the Lord God said... It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Here it is. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You see, God's desire was for a relationship, a marriage to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. That was God's desire. That's God's plan. He is the author and definer then of marriage. He created the first man and the first woman. He put them together for family, procreation, and then to become one flesh. And this whole bonding that we talked about last week that's beneficial between a, a monogamous heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman. So this is God's design. This is God's plan. This togetherness, this connection that everybody longs for. All right. And then obviously it works really well together biologically, right? When you just look at the male and the female and you know that, hey, Lord made it perfect. We don't need to go any further than that, right? Anything else is just not going to work, okay? To complete everything else, even physically on a biological basis. So we know here's the plan. Here's the design. So therefore, we can definitively state, okay, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can definitively state, even if you are tempted in the homosexual lifestyle, even if you are tempted to same-sex attraction, if you are a follower and believer in Jesus, you can look at this passage and you should be able to definitively identify truth that homosexuality and same-sex attraction was not in God's design and plan. It's right there, okay? That's plain and simple. There's truth in love for the first part. What happens if that truth is not accepted, if that truth is not lived out, what happens if we deviate from that? 
This is the second thing Jesus would say, I believe. First, he would go to to Genesis and and point out the design, the plan. Second, I think he would go and show this passage, another passage that we read last week as part of this two-part series with heterosexual and homosexual uh, fornication. And he would show this passage because, guys, get this. This passage gives the whole gospel right here because it shows how man is sinful and there's a consequence for sin, but... Through the cross and because of the redemptive power of Jesus and the blood that was shed, now that was what we once were. The old should be gone. The new should be come because the Bible is going to say we've been set free. We've been redeemed. We've been renewed. We've been restored. Let's read it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Turn to here if I can do it in the middle of the fan blowing. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Here we go. Got it. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Got it, Paul. All right. Do not be deceived. Got it again. People are trying to deceive us. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. This is the beautiful passage right here. You ready for verse 11? And such were some of you. Circle the word were. Highlight the word were in your Bible right there. Were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Beautiful passage of the gospel right there. We see what sin does. It causes devastation. We're not going to heaven if we live in an unrepentant lifestyle. It doesn't mean, doesn't say right there, if you once were that, that it's all hope is gone. That is not what it says, is it? It says we once were that, but you were restored, redeemed, renewed. That's what you once were. God has come to make you new, to set you apart, to give you a new life in him, not to continue in the same old sin that you've always struggled with, that's always caused destruction and pain in your life. And I want you to see right there that although obviously today we are using this passage with a lot of the the sexual immorality sin that's very plainly listed right there, specifically homosexuality today, there's a whole lot of other stuff in there too, isn't there? idolatry that's a big one because we got a whole lot of people living in unrepentant idolatry today i want you to think about that before we just get so quick to talk about unrepentant sexual sin how about unrepentant idolatry do you thirst after the dollar more than you thirst after the lord do you elevate your kid and your child maybe above the lord your spouse do you elevate yourself your career your car, your boat? What are you living in idolatry for? Material things? What is it? Hunting? Fishing? You put that before the Lord? There's probably some people hunting right now on Sunday instead of being in the Lord's house. What are you putting in front of the Lord? It's a scary thing because if you live in that unrepentant lifestyle, the same is true for you as it is for the sexual idolater, the sexual immoral. Very, very plain. Very, very clear. And so many of us, though, are deceived because we think it's just okay. But it's not. So first I want you to see nobody's just singling this one particular sin out. 
Because so many people, and even pastors will try to address this issue, and they'll go right here and just pound that, that scripture right there. See, it says it right there. Yes, it does. Okay? But it says a whole lot of other things that aren't preached on either. Okay? So we got to cover all of it and look at all of it so that God will penetrate our heart. But here's the thing, and here's why I think this passage is used so frequently to point out in regards to homosexuality. It's because homosexuality, if you haven't had your head under a rock lately, is being pushed on our society. You see, this is no longer just a, a private lifestyle that people live behind closed doors in their own homes and live their own life. They try to push it on our kids and even through the education system. And they try to push this immorality uh, right up in the face of society. So therefore, I think that's where it's getting a lot of attention is because of the aggressiveness by which it's being thrown in the face of those who feel otherwise, okay? So it's not being necessarily singled out, but it is at the forefront of everything we face and everything our kids face. And I think that's where it comes. So let's look at some basic um, kind of pre, uh, prepositions here, prepositions of how people stand on the homosexual side and on the Bible evangelical side. And then let's look at what some truth is. That's what Jesus would point out. He would go to his word, but then he would look at society and he would point out the truth that maybe has been hidden, that people have been deceived with. So we'll look at science and research briefly. We'll look at uh, uh, some of the, the ways that people are, um, have a, um, developmental issues that lead into to certain lifestyles. We'll look at some of this and what is truth. We'll even look at what are some ways that people aggressively combat Bible-believing Christians and making us feel like by standing and saying what God says is true is actually wrong. And that we get called a bigot if we say what God says is true. So we'll look at all this and we'll look at how Jesus would respond to each of these questions. First, in the homosexual community, as far as their stance, they believe that the homosexual lifestyle is a moral alternative sexual orientation. Because they say, I was born gay and it's who I am, it's my identity. And since I was born this way, it's normal and it's natural. So if I was made this way and it's normal and natural, then now it's a civil rights issue just like gender and race because we know your gender and your race are things that you can't change. And I know gender is kind of creeping into that people trying to change an issue. That's the message next week. So I hope you come back, all right, and how we address that with truth and love. But we see that this push is, hey, I was born this way. It's me. It's natural. I can't change it. And, and how dare would anybody come against me in saying that, all right? So we see that they believe that now it's an issue where they even need rights because of it, just like being male or female or Black, white, Hispanic, whatever, okay? It's something you can't change. There's even a book out now called Gay is the New Black. I'm not so sure about that, man, but uh, anyway, there's a book out there that states that, okay? So you can see, though, now with that kind of mindset, with that kind of really hard belief, that these people really believe that, okay? You can see where if they believe with all their heart that that is true, you can see why they would get angry when somebody would come against it, even with the word of God, and say that they were wrong and say that they needed to change, right? I mean, we could understand that and why that becomes a hot topic issue, all right? Here's the thing, though. If this is wrong, okay, 
If this thought is wrong, that they're born this way, that it's natural, and that it's, uh, uh, that it's nothing they could help, if that's wrong, who would be behind it? An enemy, right? This looking to destroy, this looking to deceive, okay? So I want us to get that picture, all right, as we go through this. Bible-believing Christians, of course, say homosexuality is an immoral, prohibited lifestyle according to God's word, okay? It's not the person's opinion. It's nobody's feelings. It's not that, that Christians hate people who are caught up in the homosexual lifestyle or hate people who are in support of it. That's not it. It's the mere foundation of this is what God's word says, just like any other sin, okay? We would come and have to say that just like last week, anybody that lives in a promiscuous lifestyle, even heterosexually, is living in sin. It's forbidden. It's against God's word, and you need to repent and change your lifestyle. It's no different. Those who are caught in lying, stealing, it's not a lifestyle that's pleasing to God. You need a change, okay? No different. So there is no hate, shouldn't be. There shouldn't be any fear, because I, I hate the word homophobia, because nobody should be scared of anybody, all right? And, and it's a very deceptive term in and of itself. Just because you stand on God's word don't mean you're scared of something. Actually, you love somebody enough that you want to share the truth with them, okay? Amen. That's what it should be, because... If we truly believe God's word and we truly believe, just like we said, that duty to act law, that we have the truth that that Christ wants to work in somebody's heart and life, we should, out of love, be willing to come alongside them and share truth with them. Not stand on the opposite side of the street with a sign yelling and screaming obscenities at them and calling them names. That is not love. Screaming, you're going to go to hell! There may be some truth in that according to God's word, but there is no love in that. And we've had some really poor examples in the church on how to handle this topic. And I think that's why everybody's got so quiet and everybody just fights about it. Because we have some people on one side who do just that. They stand and scream and they holler and they get really angry and aggressive. And they scream you're going to hell in, in a lot of judgmental, condemning way. So they have truth there with the aspect of the Bible, but there's no love in that. Then we have people who have flipped the needle to the opposite way and said, well, we're just going to give all love and we're going to ignore the truth. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to call it sin. We're going to make excuses for why the Bible says it does and say it was just for a different time and a different way and a different meaning. And we're actually going to accept this as an accepted lifestyle before God. And we're going to make you our pastors and and, and in the church and we're going to marry you and, and all this kind of stuff. So you have one group that has all truth maybe with no love and you have another side that has all love and no truth do you see the problem we're in when God wants us to bring both right here in a non-judgmental non-argumentative way and share the truth about his word while coming alongside people and understanding where they are because here's the truth. We all understand, maybe in a different way, what it's like to be tempted with sin and to fall short of God's glory. Amen? Every single one of us. So now we have actually something in common. 
that we can say, hey, I don't necessarily know what it feels like to struggle with that type of temptation, but I can surely tell you, I struggle with my own sin and my own temptation, and I know the struggle that you're in trying to fight. And I know the, the feeling you get when somebody says that you're wrong and you have to change. I've felt that myself, and I've tried to resist that. But the Spirit of God I've seen come in my life when I said yes to Him and set me free. And that's where we can come alongside people, and we could share with them. It's what Jesus would do. It's what he did with the woman at the well. He didn't just come alongside of her, even though he knew everything about her, and just say, oh, it's okay, it's okay, and just send her on her way. What did he say at the end? Go and sin no more. It wasn't go and continue in your sin, and now you're okay. It wasn't that, but that's what is being preached from a lot of pulpits. And even if it's not being preached, it's being understood because nobody's preaching the truth. It's just a hyper grace, hyper mercy, hyper grace, hyper grace preaching. And if, you, if that's all you hear, you start to think that it so doesn't matter how you live your life. And you can live it any way you want. And you're okay with God. And that's not what the Bible says. That repentance is the key to receiving that grace and receiving that free mercy and gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it, but you do have to say yes to Jesus and the truth of his word to receive it. You do. All right? And then Christ does the rest. Beautiful picture. So we know that there's been this issue and not great examples, and it's really caused a lot of confusion on both sides. All right? So we know that looking at science and research, really quick, as I breeze through a lot of this, you can look this up. There was a 1948 uh, report called the Kinsey Report. Basically said that 10% of the population was homosexual. And it said, basically, if, if, if that many people are doing this, if, how can that many people be wrong? I mean, if one in 10 people are living this lifestyle, why is this wrong? But we know that that was a flawed study. It's not accepted on either side of the debate by anybody as authentic research, and it was very flawed. And in fact, a more exhaustive study was done called the, by the National Health and Social Life Survey out of Chicago, where they found that the actual percentages were about 2.7% male and 1.4 to 1.7% female were homosexual. So somewhere between 1% and 3%, say, all right? Here's the point. I'm going to be honest with you. The percentages don't matter. Who cares? Because we know that increasingly as we go through end times, this world, this nation is going to become increasingly and increasingly and increasingly more evil, going more against God's word. So those percentages are going to go up and up and up and up and up, okay? So the percentages don't matter. What matters is what's truth, okay? Again, it could be 80% of the world's uh, living a homosexual lifestyle. Does that make it right in God's eyes? No, okay? That's not what the Bible says. So here we go. Newsweek article in the 1990s titled, Are You Born Gay? All right? This was a, a, a... article that was very popular, had a lot of different stuff in there. One of the, art, one of the um, cited studies inside that was a study that's popular by a guy named Simon LeVay, all right? And he thought and stated that he found a biological basis for homosexuality and states that we know that there's a genetic link for homosexuality, all right? Here's what happened. He took 35 dead men, okay? In their autopsy, 19 were heterosexual, and some of the flaw was even in, they didn't even confirm that, that those men were, were heterosexual, but 19 were heterosexual, 16 were definitively homosexual, all right? And what he stated he found was, was a link in the size 
with the homosexual group to a part of the brain called the hypothalamus, okay? Again, a flawed study. There's been no verification. And here's why it was flawed. Mostly done by two homosexual scientists. So you know there may be some biasness there. Could they be uh, unbiased? I don't know, possibly. But they admitted that they were looking for a link to help people overcome the guilt and shame of this lifestyle, all right? Here's the biggest part. There was no scientific credibility. Inside the homosexual group, all right, of 16 people, three of them had an increased size of the hypothalamus, whereas three of the other ones had a smaller size in the hypothalamus. So again, there was some distinct discrepancy even in the size of a hypothalamus, which he was trying to point to, that was a definitive link, all right? So no scientific credibility, but it's often the study that's quoted when people try to hold that we were born this way. Another study by Dr. Michael Bailey and Dr. Richard Pollard, they did a study on male twins, okay? And they stated that there's a three times more likelihood of being homosexual with identical twins than there is with fraternal twins, okay? So therefore, they said that it's, it's got to be genetic because there was a three times more likelihood for this. You look inside this again, it was a flawed study, again, not accepted by the scientific community because first it was a very small sample size. We know sample size has a lot to do with acceptance for uh, medical research and scientific research. Here's the biggest part. 48% of those identical twins, one of them did not become a homosexual. So one did, the other one did not. 48%. So that means basically 52% both became homosexual. So that's where they alluded to the fact that there's my, there's my sign, 52%, when basically it was a half and half deal. And you say, well, 48%, that's still, I mean, even 52, that shows something. Well, if it's identical twins, and we know identical twins have the exact same genetics, shouldn't it be per 100% if that is a genetic link? So again, not scientifically proven and included in the data. There's other studies that you could go see and, and look up. There's a chromosome study, a, a pheromone study, and all this. Here's the basis, all right? Although there's a strong desire in, in literature and, and, and through the homosexual community to, to make a link and draw conclusions uh, as to they are born this way, there has not been any scientifically credible experiment or study that shows a genetic absolute in terms of homosexual behavior or origin, all right? So even uh, people like Johns Hopkins, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Masters and Johnsons uh, state that there is, uh, n- there is really no real genetic link there. Masters and Johnsons look for uh, sexual um, behavioral studies and, and, and treatment, and they have found that there's a 71.6% success rate over a six-year period that they had with helping people come out of the homosexual lifestyle. All right, so therefore you know it cannot be genetic that you have to be it for the rest of your life. 71.6% success rate in six years through their treatment regimen, all right? Again, proving secularly what Christ said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that you once were that, but you do not have to be that forever. Beautiful story of hope and redemption, amen. All right, so, but... We look down to it, could there eventually or could there possibly even be a a genetic predisposition, if you will, um, toward homosexuality? Possibly, or could be, all right? Um, We know that there's 
genetic predispositions we have toward other um, adverse behaviors, alcoholism, highly documented, all right? That there's a 65 to 70% kind of genetic predisposition toward alcoholism. But do we just tell those people it's okay to get drunk all you want? It's okay. It's all right. No. No. How about anger, violence? Some people are probably genetically predisposed to that to just, they got a short fuse and they're going to go off. Do we say it's okay to beat your wife then and your kids? Do we say it's okay to just go up as you get mad at somebody and punch your coworker in the face? Oh, it's all right, I got that anger gene, man. You have to forgive me. That doesn't work. So why, even if they did show that there's some kind of predisposition to this, would it still be accepted in God's eyes? It shouldn't be because God's word is truth. So in the same situation that we tell the alcoholic, or, or how about somebody that's predisposed um, to heterosexual activity and promiscuous sex outside of marriage? Do we just say, oh, go ahead, cheat on your wife all you want. It's okay, you got that gene and predisposition. No. What would we tell that person to do? Hey, you need counseling. You need help. You need to learn how to what? Resist the temptation that you have within your flesh to go against what's healthy for you, and what the plan and design is from a holy God that wants to save you from the destruction that's further down that road. That's it. Again, we learned a couple weeks ago that temptation is not the sin. So being tempted is not the sin. So if you have a, a tendency toward same-sex attraction or, or homosexuality, you have to fight and resist that temptation and say no to it, just like the person who is tempted heterosexually to sin and deviate from God's plan. You have to say no. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. That's it. Ain't too many people wanting to deny themselves anymore. That's the problem. But if you listen to all this, and if the culture yells it loud enough and says it long enough, eventually people are going to believe it. And that's what's happening. As people put it right up in the face of our young people and, and through school and colleges, and they begin to change their, their idea and conceptualization of this lifestyle and what God's word really says. And that's why we see that over half of evangelical Christians, people that call, them, call themselves a follower of Christ, I think it's 54%, think that homosexuality now is an accepted lifestyle in the eyes of God. The culture in this lie of deception has been pushed to the point of it's allowed people to deviate from the clear truth of God's word. And it's scary. All right? We know there's developmental factors that can lead to this lifestyle. We don't have to, a lot of time to, to dig through those, but we know that um, confusion and sexual identity, a, a lot of times in this homosexual lifestyle, there's an absent, abusive, or a disengaged father. Um, there's smothering mothers. There's uh, early sexual abuse, low self-esteem, failure, failure to bond with the same-sex parent in a healthy way. There's a lot of factors that can play into this, and they're all not definitive, but uh, there's a lot to play into this as a behavior. Plus, we know when we're all little boys and girls and we're growing up, when you were real little, when you were like three, four, five, six, maybe even as old as up to nine, ten, who did you play more with and hang out more with on the playground and at school and stuff? Was it people of the same sex or people of the opposite sex? More times than not, young little boys hang out and play with little boys, little girls hang out and play with little girls because the opposite sex has cooties, right? You remember that? Ooh, you got cooties. 
right? When you're young before puberty, that's the thing. Here's the problem. A lot of people are being fed now that because you liked to play with little boys and you're a little boy, and because you liked to play with little girls when you were a little girl, that means that you're a homosexual and you have same-sex attraction. And that's what's being pushed on them, and it's a lie. Because we know what happens when puberty eventually hits, something miraculously changes. And those little girls that you like to, uh, used to not like, guys, all of a sudden, you want to start getting their phone number and hanging out with them a little bit, right? We know things change, and that's God's design to, to come through in a natural relationship. But the enemy wants to come in and twist what happens naturally and make it seem like that you're on a different path in your life and in your makeup. And you were born that way. Here's the truth. When you were that young, you had no sexual ideas in your life, or at least you shouldn't unless you were, again, abused sexually or uh, exposed to pornography, which is, again, abnormal and leads to other things like we talked about before. But you had no sexual ideology back when you were eight, nine, ten years old. So how did you know you're gay? You didn't, okay? There's no way you could because you didn't have a, a sexual bone in your body at that time. Puberty had not yet hit, all right? Things hadn't changed yet. So we see the, the lies and deception, but the more it's pushed and the more it's taught, the culture changes and accepts it and brings it in. We know these preteen and developmental puberty years are, are important because there's a lot of socially developmental issues that take on. And, and if deep needs are not being met and there's not a proper bonding going on relationally, the person will try to find a connection with anybody they can. And if they find a bond with somebody that's already in the lifestyle, then there is a big, big danger zone for them to start to question their sexual identity because they find connection there and think that there's somebody that they're not. I've heard stories and seen this with, with um, coaches, especially on the female side that were gay, and, and they had young ladies on their teams and stuff, and a coach always forms a bond with players. And then through that relationship, through that connection where a need was being met in the life of that child, they then started to question their own sexual identity and become homosexual through the deception of something that at the time was very innocent, non-sexual, where a need was being met and the, and the truth was twisted so that they felt like there's somebody that they're not. And we see that a lot. We also know that there's the influence of media and TV, music, politics even. All have normalized and promoted the lifestyle. So it's always in our face. It's always there uh, of this is right. This is what's new. This is what's going on. And it's even more than accepted now. It's being glorified. Whereas people will now, you'll see them be called heroes for coming out and, and, and making it public and whatnot. And even the White House at times in previous administrations calling and congratulating the person for doing that. And here's the thing. So if People don't hear the truth from God's word and don't hear it preached in love. And then all they will begin to believe is all they see and all they hear in their society. And that's where now we have more people that call themselves Christians thinking that it's an accepted lifestyle in God's eyes. They've been deceived. They haven't heard truth in love. They've been desensitized is what's happened. All right. So we know the heart and the reason that God created sexual relationships from Genesis 2 is the reality. And that's what God wanted to instill and, and provide for all of us, okay? For this type of connection, this acceptance, this wanting to be loved that's deep down inside all of us to find this real connection. Here's the thing. For all of us, if we don't deal with that deep down desired need in our heart and our life to be connected, to feel a part of something, to feel ex accepted and connected then 
If we don't meet that need inside of God's divine plan and according to his truth, then we're all susceptible to destruction and destructive lifestyles, although maybe in different ways. Alcohol, drugs, heterosexual sin, like we talked about last week, materialism, food and gluttony. There's all kinds of ways that we can search for that last piece of the puzzle in our heart to be filled up in the world. But God wants you to fill it up with him. You see, that's a perfectly God-sized puzzle piece, that missing piece in your life and your heart that you're trying to fill in in an adulterous lifestyle or or in any type of sexual sin or in a homosexual same-sex attraction, that whatever you're trying to fill yourself up with and meet the needs in your heart, God wants to take that place and not that lifestyle and not the money and not anything else that's out there and tempted for us to fall into. God wants to meet our deepest and long desires in our heart, in our life, all right? So what we need to realize as we come alongside people that we need to know that we need to gently and lovingly shed light on the issue, the light of truth around us that we've pointed at, the light of truth in God's word, and reveal some of the false pretenses and and promises that the world and the enemy is pushing out so that now we know that we can Say, hey, I was tempted in one way, maybe a different way than you, and I was trying to fill up my need, not with a, a, a same-sex relationship, but mine, man, mine was alcohol, or, or, or mine was pornography, or mine was heterosexual sin, and, and, and I fought that fight too. And I want you to know that there's a Jesus who loves you, and he died for you, and he wants to meet those deepest, longest needs, and he wants to pull you out of that road that's going to cause so much harm and destruction in your life, and he wants to set you free. That's the message. Amen. We know biologically, the sodom, um, sodom, sodomy is not healthy, all right? We know that even within uh, homosexuals, they have a higher mortality rate. The average uh, mortality rate is less than 50 years old in that population, even amongst different nations. We know that there's, in teens, young people, suicide is the second leading cause of death amongst all young people. But even inside of sexual identity, 23% of people in the LGBTQ lifestyle try to commit suicide at that age group compared to 6% of heterosexuals. So we know there's a destructive difference. Psychologists point to the fact that people in the LGBTQ community struggle with depression at alarmingly higher rates compared to the normal population. There's destruction in this that God doesn't want you to have. He doesn't want you to deal with. And he wants to set you free. We know even biologically the health reasons that we know with sodomy that the the rectum and the anal wall can be torn and bruised. It's a single layer. It's not meant to to handle that type of, of activity. And because of that, germs can get easily passed into the bloodstream. And then all these impurities penetrate the wall because it's only a single cell wall. And it damages the body's immune system, including T-cell and B-cell defense mechanisms. This does not happen in heterosexual relationships because of the multi-layer wall of the vagina. I can't get any more direct than that. It's not natural. It's not healthy. It's not what God intended for your body. There's nothing about it that is going to be beneficial. So... Also, it goes to the point of God's plan. It goes against God's plan of ability to reproduce, obviously. All right? 
And here's the thing, and we don't have time to go through this, but historically, no society has ever, soci- has ever survived or lasted once the homosexual lifestyle became mainstream and widely accepted. You can go back and look at that, but not a single one. So, back to God's word. We've seen what it looks like in society and in our bodies and in the, the minds of, of people and how destructive it can be. We know in Genesis 19, we get the, the, the picture of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and how this city was destroyed because of homosexuality. And, and let's just get this clear. Homosexuality was not the only sin that they had deviated in. You can see that in, in Ezekiel. It alludes to other things that they had fallen for. But homosexuality was the main sin. It, it, was the, it was the one that had taken over and was the reason that their destruction had to be brought. That's very clear in the Bible. And we see at the point of that destruction that the Bible says every man in that community come and surrounded the angels and basically wanted to gang rape them. That's how sick and perverted that society had come. God could not even find 10 righteous people in the whole city. All right? So we see the penalty of sin. And we know that this started back when when God gave the Israelites, all right, the, the Mosaic law and the Levitical law that's been brought forth. And basically, this was God as he, after he brought these people out of Egypt where there was all these um, false practices and, and evil practices from the, the Greek society. That once he brought them into Canaan, he wanted to lay down some laws and some standards by which they should live by. Why? Because he wanted to make them holy. He wanted to make them pure. He wanted them to be set apart. That's the key. He wanted them to be and live and act and look different than the world that he destroyed. There's why for the, for the law that, that Christ put forth, and I say Christ because he is God and he was there as the author of Genesis and Leviticus as well, all right? People try to, try to misconstrue that and think that the only part that Jesus had to do with in the Bible was the red letters in the New Testament. That is false. Jesus had part in every single word from Genesis to Revelation. He is God. You cannot set, separate Jesus from his word. Too many people try to do that, and that's where a lot of confusion comes in, and Satan twists scripture. We know in this passage how serious sin is from Sodom and Gomorrah, and and Paul talked to the church at Corinth, a church that he loved, a people that he loved so much, and he was very clear that how living in these habitual, unrepentant practices and being unwilling to change that would lead to a life of destruction, eternal destruction, separated from God for eternity in a place called hell, that they would not see the kingdom of God, that repentance was the key. We talked about what that looked like last week, about how repentance was stopping, confessing, denying yourself, and then submitting yourself to God. That's full repentance, not just confessing and being sorry. There's a idea of denying self and submitting to the authority and the power of Christ in our life. So Paul's laying down the, the truth here in 1 Corinthians 6, the passage that we read earlier, and he's setting the bar of righteousness that God expected, all right? But then he's giving them hope, and that's what's so beautiful, is yes, there's a bar of righteousness. We're all gonna fall short of that. We all were once in some of these lifestyles, but God has come to set us free and set us to be apart from that and to be different. Such were some of you. The Bible said. So homosexuality happens to be one of those issues, but it's not isolated. And it must be repented of, just like the others. So not speaking out 
has been an effect of what we like to call jamming, if you will, and where basically we've been undercut by our society and saying that we shouldn't preach and, and talk on topics like this and that we shouldn't be uh, ready to um, present what God's done because if we do, we're going to be called a bigot, all right? And so that's why pastors are expected not to say what the Bible has to say about this, and it's unfortunate. So, really quick, some arguments that come up against, or for rather, homosexuality, even biblically, is they say, Jesus never addressed homosexuality. And again, they look back at the red letters, and they try to find the word homosexuality. And when people present that to, to Christians, man, they're, they're drawn back. They're like, what? what, what, what? I mean, we... we we don't know what to say initially, but the truth is Jesus did address homosexuality and he addressed it in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19 where he goes back and quotes Genesis that we read earlier. So by understanding the idea of marriage, all right, properly in Genesis, he was therefore setting the bar and the standard for what a relationship should look like and it did not include homosexuality, all right? Even all the way back to procreation, I mean, God gave Adam Eve and said, go multiply. Adam could not have done that very well with Steve. He needed Eve, okay, to, to go forward and multiply. And so, therefore, we see what God intended, all right? So anything else is a violation of God's created order and denounces the purpose of marriage. I'm going to skip forward a little bit for the sake of time, moving us forward. So... We know and see that Jesus can't be separated from his word, that Jesus is God. So, so to say that Jesus never addressed homosexuality, and you're only looking at the red letters to say that Jesus had nothing to do with the rest of the Bible. But he actually did. Look at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14 in that chapter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Capital W, the words, talking about Jesus. So therefore, Jesus was there in Genesis chapter 19, raining down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Therefore, Jesus is the author of Genesis and Leviticus and the Levitical law in that chapter 18, verse 22. He's the same Jesus that walked in the flesh on earth that presented and, and through the prophets gave the New Testament scripture. You can't separate him from his word. And then if you tried to, you would try to, in a, in a certain text, try to be saying that Jesus had a different idea on, on uh, sexuality than God the Father did. But Jesus is part of the triune God. One God exhibited in the person of God the Father, God the flesh, and the Holy Spirit, which can't go against each other because a kingdom divided itself will what? Fall. So to even imply the idea that Jesus didn't speak on it and didn't address it and didn't think it was wrong is to say that he had a different idea than the Father. And we know that that is hugely false. It's also problematic because if Jesus never addressed that and anything he didn't address specifically means it's fair game and good to go with. Jesus never addressed pedophilia. Does that mean that's okay too? That's an alternate sexual preference lifestyle. Is that okay? And I want to let you know that in another nation, I've seen people given talks where it should be accepted as an alternate lifestyle. Yeah, it's out there. You see the problem that it opens up if we say that, hey, it's okay? Opens up a world of problems. I'm going to play a clip from you from a guy named Vody Balkum, a pastor that preached on this. I want to show you this clip. And he's sharing first, as you hear him listen, 
he's sharing a statement from a uh, homosexual advocate that was in an article. You'll hear him read that. And then he kind of goes into talking about what we talked about, about if Jesus, if you think Jesus didn't speak about it, is it okay then? Or if we're predisposed um, genetically to certain types of behaviors, then does that mean we have now a green light for, for anger, for, for alcohol? I want you to listen to this clip. Traits must be taught that it is as natural for some persons to be homosexual as it is for others to be heterosexual. Wickedness and seduction have nothing to do with it. And since no choice is involved, gayness can be no more blameworthy than straightness. I want you to notice that this is an argument from origins. This is an argument based upon their understanding of the nature of man. This is why Genesis matters. They're arguing that this is the way we were made, or this is the way that we have evolved, and therefore, there is no morality associated with it. And this is a dangerous statement to make. I, I mean, suppose, you know, we can, we can say that I have a genetic predisposition toward violence. Does that make it okay? Because we can prove that I have a genetic predisposition? If I have a genetic predisposition toward drunkenness, does that make it okay? Officer pulled me over. Sir, you been drinking? Ossifer, I don't even know. <laughs> Sir, you want to get out of the car? Okay, but before I do, you should need to know, I got that drunk gene. <laughs> Oh, well, sir, I'm sorry. Please weave on your way. <laughs> so, makes a lot of sense when you put it that way, right? And we shed the light of truth on the situation on why certain things should be accepted and not, again, going back to the truth of God's word and the Genesis, the way God intended and planned everything to be. Another argument, quickly, as, as we bring it to a close, there's a popular book out that I don't have time to go through a lot of in depth and detail in my notes that I had for the sake of time, but a guy named Matthew Vines wrote a very popular book in the uh, Christian gay community called God and the Gay Christian, and basically goes into explaining why homosexuality is okay in God's eyes in a monogamous relationship amongst two people that love each other, and that shows and tries to draw the correlation that when Paul and everybody was talking about in the New Testament about homosexuality, that they were not addressing the monogamous relationships, but rather a practice called pederasty, all right, which is basically a sexual activity between an adult male and a younger boy just for the uh, sake of the act, all right? And it would basically was saying that how dare you would come against that when the, Paul was talking about something else, all right? And saying that Paul was even saying, hey, you shouldn't do that when you don't even have a real authentic sexual orientation for homosexuality. You're just doing it for the act. And that's why he tries to draw the correlation as to what Paul's trying to say there. But we know it's not true because we know in Romans chapter 1 that he even addressed homosexuality within the women. So we know that it's not true, and that was not his intent, and that in Romans chapter 1, which I had to bring up and we won't read, but basically calls it unnatural for homosexual relationship between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Both are unnatural. So 
this was not just pederasty that Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians because we can define, definitively say that from Romans chapter 1, all right? Another argument they say is that if we love each other, then what's wrong with it? We just love different than you do. Well, let's go to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it gives all the characteristics of love and love is patient, kind, and all that. Verse 6 says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, which means wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. So this type of love cannot be biblical love because it would be going against itself, all right? Because the Bible clearly calls it wrongdoing, iniquity, so it cannot be biblical love. Number four, why pick and choose, they say, and this is a big one. Because there's basically six passages through the Bible that address homosexuality specifically. And in the homosexual community, they call these the clobber passages. Right? There's even books out against them written by Mel White called Clobber the Passages book. And a, and a Christian pastor supposedly called Colby Martin who um, has written a book called Unclobber that goes and says that homosexuality is an accepted lifestyle with God. Scary stuff. And they bring out this argument of why pick and choose inside the Levitical law. Why do you pick and choose Leviticus 18.22 where you shouldn't do homosexuality, but yet you go and you eat pork and you eat shrimp and you cover your face and you do all this, that, and the other. And why do you choose that? Why, why, don't, why don't you do all this other stuff and you just point this out? And it's a big argument today that seemingly makes a lot of people be quiet when we come to bringing the truth in love. Here's why. Here's why. It's because we know why. Because we know inside the Levitical law that there's three types of law that was given. There was moral law, all right, which transcends time and culture. That basically even our culture was founded upon. That's why it's commonly looked upon that murder is wrong, that lying is wrong, that stealing is wrong. Whether they know it or not, they are also picking and choosing because they choose to fall under that societal law which was founded on God's word, whether you know it or not, all right? So the moral law was given, and that is meant to transcend time and culture. Another type of law was given as civil law that God gave to Israel for them to function then and there and in that time, and it was not meant to be taken to another culture. Then there was also ceremonial law, which taught Israel about how it should worship. And the laws inside the temple and everything that. We couldn't do those if we wanted to now, guys. Do you realize that? Where it was talking about how the specifics of how you take a, a perfect lamb or, or the perfect sacrifice for God. It would be blasphemous for us to do that now. That's why it's not picking and choosing. It's knowing that certain types of those laws God gave for them at that time, for that civil society, and for that um, way to worship and ceremonial law. We don't have to kill an animal now. Why? Because Christ did the finished work on the cross. It was the just dying for the unjust. It was finished through him. Therefore, we don't have to kill an animal and sacrifice it anymore. It's not picking and choosing. It's knowing why you follow what you follow in God's word. It's called hermeneutics and understanding the Bible, all right, and how to, to address it. And then the beautiful part is if everybody ever does bring that up to you, they just ask you to initiate in a Bible conversation. Here's the point. Anytime you get into talking about this, we have to bring light and not heat. We cannot get angry. We should not get angry. We should not be yelling, screaming, or anything. The other person may be doing it, but we should not. We should be ready to bring the truth in love and understanding 
all right? But we get the perfect opportunity in this. If everybody ever says that, well, the Levitical law, y'all do all this other stuff. Why you pick that out? Great, let's have a Bible conversation, all right? That's what Christ would want us to do. And this Bible conversation would lead straight to the gospel, straight to it. First Timothy chapter 1. I want to read that real quick as I close because it's Paul bringing out the very idea here of the law, the, the Ten Commandments, being an affirmation of even being against certain lifestyles that God calls wrong. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 11. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 11. And the Bible is blowing all over the place. There it is. I'm going to get it. Sword drill with a fan on. Makes it harder. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And the Word of God says this. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, as homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which has committed to my trust. So the moral law is brought right in to be an affirmation against certain lifestyles, this topic being one of them, that sin is sin. The beautiful part is from 1 Corinthians 6 is that's what we once were. God doesn't want us to be there anymore. I don't know what you're struggling with today. Maybe it's not even this topic. Maybe it is this topic. Whatever you're struggling with, Christ has come to set you free today. And I want you to hear his voice of truth no matter where you're at and where, where, no matter how you're struggling. So the question is, are we going to be willing to love the people that God will bring or has already brought to this church and in our community that are currently tempted with this, struggling in it, or trying to come out of this lifestyle? So many times, people that struggle with this don't know where to go. They don't, they don't think they could come to somebody in the church and say, hey, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction and I don't know what to do with it. Why? Because they feel like they're going to be bashed. They feel like they're going to be stoned emotionally even farther. Guys, if they can't come to get help in the church, where do they go? Amen. I'll tell you where they go. They go back to the world and they get deeper in its sin and depression and everything else. If all they hear is bashing from our side, then they're never going to hear the truth in love that Christ wants to set them free. So will we be ready when God brings them? be honest after looking at all this and looking at truth and and looking at truth not just on this topic but in other the topics that were in this passage I don't know about you but I need to know myself what God says is righteous and what he says is unrighteous right because I myself have been and am at times a hypocrite aren't you because deep inside of us and our flesh and our sinful desire is a longing to take what God calls wrong and try to make it righteous because it feels good for us. 
And inside that same point is to take what God calls righteous and then to say we don't need it because we're all sinners that have fallen short of his glory. And because I can admit that, and I hope you can too, that I'm a sinner in need of Christ my Savior, and I needed to deny myself daily and take up my cross and follow him and submit to his authority and his truth, I hope that you can say that as well. That's why I can throw myself now on the full aspect of his grace and mercy and love and that I can know that I am redeemed, renewed, restored because of what he did for me and what he did for you at Calvary. And he doesn't want me and he doesn't want you to experience the painful parts of sin and destructive lifestyles, not just today, but of everything we're going to be talking about that we have talked about and will be talking about over the next few weeks, that he wants us to miss that because of the finished work of Christ on the cross because he was God in the flesh and he kept the whole law when you and I could not and cannot and so now Galatians 2:20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me is that the cry of your heart today? The Lord, I'm trying to do life on my own. I'm trying to do life the world's way. I'm, trying, I'm tired of doing life the way that I thought made sense, only to feel the pain, destruction, the separation that it causes. And today I want to repent and come running back to you. I hope you've heard the heart of this message in my heart through all of this, to bring the truth in love, and to let you know, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're struggling with, ultimately I'm just a beggar trying to tell another beggar where I found provision, where I found a bread of life that made me whole, where I found a drink from the well of his water when I was thirsty and I didn't thirst anymore. And I want you to have that same bread of life. And I want you to have that same drink from that same well so that you don't thirst for the things of this world anymore. Will you come running to the cross? You once were that. But now you've been redeemed, renewed, restored. You can have that life right now no matter where you're at. Bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as Lord of your life, I want you to do it right now. No matter where you're at, beautiful part of God's word, Romans 5a, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean, Brad? That means you don't have to get your life right first to come to Jesus. You just come right now. You fall at the cross on bended knee, repentant, ready to change and ready to surrender your heart and your life to him, to deny yourself and then submit yourself to God. When you do that, the Bible says he miraculously sends his spirit into you and he he does the work of cleaning up the house in your heart. Will you do that today? That is a beautiful picture right now. Will you have that? If you've never done that before, do that right now. Pray from your heart to God's heart. Or if you're here and you say, Brad, I, I accepted Christ earlier, but man, lately I've deviated. I've, I've fallen short of God's glory so many ways again. I've, I've gotten off the path. Like the prodigal son, I've, I've been wallowing in the mud and the muck, and I want to come back to daddy today. 
I want to come running back to the cross and I'm going to rededicate my life. If that's you, I want you to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart right now. In this place, at home on Facebook Live or later on YouTube or wherever you're watching right now, do business with God and say, Dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. Right now I'm in need of you, my Savior. And I'm coming and falling on bended knee. And I'm repenting from where I've been. And Lord, I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross that I could have forgiveness of my sin because his body was broken and his blood was shed. And Lord, I thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he was God and victory over hell, death, the grave, and sin. And Lord, I need that same victory right now in my life, Lord, because I'm struggling and I'm struggling hard and I need you. And I can't do this without you. And I don't want to do this without you anymore. Would you come into my life and save me and make me whole and set me free that I can walk in victory with you? You have the rest of my life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer right now, you meant business with God. I know it's a little late and I'm sorry. If you made that decision right now to accept him for the first time or to rededicate your life, I want you to boldly and unashamed right now raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God. I received him for the first time or I rededicated my life. Amen. Impact Church, we give Jesus a big round of applause today for his word, his truth. It gives life. It gives hope. So today, I hope that we've all learned some truth from God's word on this subject and even some truth that's in our society and how things have gone through this situation and through this lifestyle and then ultimately how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus and how can we speak to our family member our friend that's caught up in this lifestyle or or even that's not caught up in the lifestyle but in support of the Romans 1 passage that we didn't get to read says man it's wrong for even those who support those who do this stuff I want you to hear that it's wrong even to support it we want to be the hands and feet of Christ to help bring light and not heat to a subject that's very clear in God's word. Amen. Guys, let's take this truth. Let's be the hands and feet of Christ. Let's have the idea, just like our first responders, that we have a call to duty, a duty to act. And that's to be able to speak truth in love. Let's take it. Let's go make an impact for Jesus. We'll see you right back here next Sunday. Bring a friend next week. Lord bless all you. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.